You are now listening to the Big Data Beard. Well, welcome back, uh, everybody. This is Kyle Prince along with Brett Roberts, and we have what I think will be my favorite podcast episode because it combines two of my pastimes, uh, AI and beer. I thought you were just going to say beer and beer. That's fair, too. And welcome back to uh, the United States, man. It's been a couple months. Yeah, so I've been doing my walkabout in Australia for six months now. Just so. shamming over there, living yeah, the summer dream. It's rough, let me tell you. I was in shorts, and it's March. <laughs> but we are at beautiful Microsoft's campus in Seattle, Washington. Thank you so much, Microsoft, for having us out. And we're here with Deschutes. Uh, we're here with Kyle and Jeremiah from Deschutes. Uh, what do you guys exactly do at Deschutes? So I'm the operations technology lead. Um, I mainly focus on operations data and uh, data availability and advanced analytics. Awesome. And Jeremiah, what do you do? So I'm also part of the operations technology team, uh, but I'm more focused on the process controls and automation. Um, so I'm actually more of an end user for the machine learning data. I'm working on solutions to take those outputs and have the software make decision on them. Wow. And, and what did you guys do previously before Deschutes? Have you always worked in beer or how did you, how did you make the transition to AI for a beer company? Um, my background's in physics and I spent, uh, several years doing research and development for, uh, lithium ion batteries oh, doing wow. chemical engineering that type of thing. And then, um, living in band, you're surrounded by beer and beer culture. And, um, I found that the community itself was in the industry was, uh, really awesome and, uh, complete change from the uh the intellectual property research and development industry that i was in and so i pursued a career as a brewer and uh started brewing beer at deschutes four years ago and kind of transitioned into my current role in operations technology about two two years ago but yeah awesome and what did you do before jeremiah uh so i i kind of have been in process automation and controls programming right out of college uh just kind of fell into a role like that and didn't take too long where I just got lucky enough to land on a brewing project for Miller Coors and just kind of was lucky enough to stay on brewing projects. Um, and that eventually just segued into doing contract work at Deschutes and became enough work that they brought me on full time. Cool. So Deschutes, tell us a little bit about it. How big is it? How much beer do you brew? Each year, can you give us some you know, background on that? Mm -hmm. We've got a little over 500 employees nationwide, um, a lot right in Bend, uh, but you know, a good handful at the pub in Portland, and then folks scattered all around the country doing sales and things like that. Uh, we've also got a, a tasting room in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, I'm sorry, what, the second part. Oh, barrels. Um, last year we were what three. 10, 320, mm -hmm. just over 300,000 barrels. Um, the latest Brewers Association report just came out this year, um, or sorry, just came out for last year's data, and we were uh, stayed at number 10, the 10th largest craft brewery in the country. Wow. So we, we met you guys, obviously, at Microsoft's AI Tech Summit. Uh, we wanted to dig a little bit into what exactly, what challenges were you facing that made you guys have AI come into the brewing process? What, what started that thought process that, hey, we should, we should look at this as a data problem and really try and fix something? 
Yeah, so it happened pretty early on when we were kind of undergoing this digital transformation, as they say. Um, we <laughs> my inve- favorite word, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's if there's like ever the- a, a drinking game or you know it's digital transformation. Digital yeah. transformation. <laughs> it's the synergy of the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's double click into that. Oh boy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was one of those things we we had just invested in the OSI soft pie system and we were con- configuring that uh, f- as our main data historian and uh, through that project, you know, data became uh, super available to everyone. And one thing that we realized was specifically for the projects that um, we have talked about with uh, uh, predicting the rate of fermentation and also predicting the rate of diacetyl reduction. Uh, Both of those projects, um, when we looked at the data, what we found was their are manual measurements being made by a brewer or quality technician, and they're usually done about once a shift. So each data point has about 10, 12 hours between them. So the way, uh, fermentation goes at Deschutes and pretty much everywhere we have different phases and we don't advance to the next phase of fermentation until a key attribute has met its specification for quality and consistency uh, purposes. So one thing that we realized is we weren't advancing fermentations to the next phase until we confirmed a, a, a physical measurement about had crossed its specification. Um, sometimes that could be as little as, you know, an hour or so after we estimated it, it could have crossed. Um, it could be up to 12 hours. And one thing that, um, we, uh, had the power to do at that point, once we got all our data. So that was the other thing is, uh, we also invested in Azure SQL database, um, and, uh, got a lot of assistance from Microsoft and, getting all our data into one place. And I think that we uh, realized once we had everything together and we could look at it um, at the same time that really it would be awesome to create a model that could fill the gap, fill in the gaps mm-hmm. between the measurements, but then also have this like, you know, seven days down the road, what is, you know, what what's the ADF going to be or apparent degree of fermentation? What's the density of the beer at that point? Yeah. You know? And so it became this um, really valuable project from uh, efficiency perspective because we do, didn't technically have to wait for a measurement to be made to advance to the next phase at that point when, when the, um, machine learning model or predictive model said, this is when it's going to cross. This is a point in time. Uh, we could theoretically transition the tank. Yeah. So, okay. So getting all the data together, starting to create models, creating efficiencies, uh, today, what are some of those hero numbers, the metrics that you can show that, you know, this model actually reduced time to fermentation or time to having the bottle by X. Any of those numbers? Yeah. So I think right now, uh, the last analysis that I did, it looked like overall we were saving about 2% uh, on average of our total fermentation time between the two models that we're running. So um, 
that may not seem like a lot, but if you look at the average active fermentation time for a vessel, it can be up to 14 to 21 days. Oh. So, um, we're in general making up about, uh, you know, at least a few hours per batch, but over the course of a year that adds up. Yeah. So significant cost savings, and then I'm assuming more beer as well. We have the potential to brew more beer. The faster we can, um, or the less time we waste, um, by keeping that beer in the vessel longer than it needs to be. Um, that's, uh, cutting into our potential capacity for production. So I think, um, by using the predictive model, uh, we're using our equipment to the highest efficiency we can. Yeah. So you're getting better utilization out of your equipment, which then is also leading to more utilization, better profits than for Deschutes, more manufacturing. Was there also a quality side of it as well that, that you saw increase or did that come into play at all or? Yeah. So quality is extremely important to us and, um, that's one of our core values is to honor our customers. And we do that by creating really good tasting beer at a high quality. And that's always consistent. Um, and I think one of the things that this project, uh, a really big selling point internally for us is, uh, from a quality perspective, we want to know that every beer, you know, is crossing the specification targets at the same, same level. Yeah. Right. Um, the other, uh, hidden benefit of the machine learning model that we have is, um, we can spot a process deviation early on in the fermentation and take corrective action. So, um, that again is just being cognizant of quality and how a process affects the end, mm-hmm. uh, product quality and, um, you know, we have the potential um, for using the predictive data to say, look, this isn't typical for what we see for this brand. Yeah. So we need to do something. So I understand as well that it helped save some money from not having to buy new gear. Right. Is that correct? What exactly happened there? Something about the chiller? Is yeah. That correct? What, yeah. Well, can you explain what happened there and how you used AI? Yeah, so um, that specifically has to do with our diacetyl uh, reduction predictive model. And diacetyl is a byproduct of fermentation naturally occurring from yeast uh, um, as it ferments the beer. Mm -hmm. And uh, while it's created by yeast, it's also consumed by yeast, uh, depending on the conditions of the fermentation. So um, it... It is naturally occurring, but if it is at very high levels, um, it can be uh, considered an off flavor in beer. Uh, and um, we measure that with gas chromatography. And again, it was, you know, because it it's being sampled from the tank and we're measuring it, there's these gaps in data. And what we found was we could use machine learning to fill fill in the gaps in the data, but then also say this is when our diacetyl level for this fermentation is going to cross the specification. At that time, what we do is we turn the glycol jacket on the fermentation tanks on and we start cooling the beer down to 28 degrees. So, um, 
once the beer is cold, the yeast is falling out of suspension. Activity is, you know, ceased at that point. So there's, there's really nothing you can do to get diacetyl mm-hmm. to go back down, um, other than, you know, adding more yeast, which we, you know, it would, ju- it would just Throw be a huge, uh, yeah, yeah, huge, uh, quality concerns and inefficiencies. So, um, that again, that project came about because we saw the, we saw the time savings from not waiting to confirm with a physical measurement, but we could transition. And then as we were like really fine tuning that project, and that was what maybe in September. Yeah. I think September, they started October is when, when they yeah. determined our, it's our backup chiller mm-hmm. um, that normally doesn't run. It only runs when we have a a high glycol load and it needs some extra oomph. Um, that thing is on its last leg. And so with the, um, replacement cost of that being fairly substantial, um, senior management was curious if we could get by without it. So we, um, were able to kind of devise this experiment where we were going to try and manage our glycol load Mm -hmm. and, keep that backup chiller from coming on. And that's where the prediction came in. Um, Cause before the prediction, you know, if you don't have a, a technician or somebody in to take that diacetyl sample, you might get a couple tanks that are stacked up ready to cool. And so when they come in on Monday morning and take those samples, they start cooling those tanks altogether. So that's a massive cooling load. Whereas if we were able to cool them, based on when the model says they're ready to cool without actually taking that manual sample, then that spreads the load out and negates the, and what we actually proved was we, we could get by without replacing our backup chiller. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, so you have a very strong partnership with Microsoft and you've used them, um, for all these projects. Can you talk a little bit about how they're helping you achieve these results? Yeah, I think um, the initial iterations of the model were developed by data scientists here. Uh, They really uh, helped us get going with the whole project and and familiarize us with the concepts of it. Um, And uh, it was a really, really great experience. And then we just carried carried on from there. Wow. Wow. Now, it... You know, I, I think of breweries and I think of a bunch of guys and waiters, you know, cleaning out beer tanks. But it sounds like you guys have a talent pool that is just way different. Uh, it seems like you have a lot of data nerds. Uh, did it? Did this bringing on of this digital transformation uh, drink? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're playing the game along home, uh, did it, did that change your hiring pool? Did that change your talent pool? Did did it change your workforce at all? Or were you guys able to? Uh, keep the same people or how did, how did that work? Yeah. I think when, when we started going through the, the digital transformation, um, everyone was kind of in place. I think there was, uh, um, a group, a group of individuals that realized the importance of data, um, and really just said, this is something that is going to benefit the company in the long term. Um, our senior management was really supportive of the digital transformation. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it has just been, um, really cool to see how everyone in operations has 
really embraced uh, data and automation and have realized the value um, in being able to know what's going on all the time. Yeah, that's great. So everybody's a bit more informed now. Right. Augmented a little bit and now helped more productive. Did it, did you guys look at all of, of changing how you distribute beer? Have you applied any models around that or on your distribution channel? You know, we haven't, uh, I think our, our analytics hasn't broken out of, of operations data just yet. I think that we're still really, uh, refining our data infrastructure, Mm -hmm. um, to be more agile before we move on to something that could potentially affect sales. And that the streamlining of operations is also um, a major focus uh, from directed by senior management recently. Um, There's, you know, we've for a long time, we were growing at such a rapid pace. We were just struggling to keep up with capacity and demand. Um, So now that things have slowed a little bit with the, you know, the market saturation that's happening, um, we've really shifted focus to identifying those areas of waste. And, and that's really where we're focused at the moment. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, do you guys have any challenges that you see coming forward that are particularly interesting for you personally? Is there anything that you're, you're excited to see, uh, get solved? Several. (laughs) (laughs) There's always, always more, there's always more that you want to do than you can actually do. I feel like. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's a bit tougher to prioritize just yet. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So totally understandable, but it's extremely cool that you guys are able to, to use data to solve your operational needs. Yeah. Um, as you've been going through this process and, you know, applying data to your operations, becoming more operationally efficient, what has been some of the challenges that you faced? You know, I, I feel like um, data wrangling, which has become my new favorite term, has always one of the like, are you seeing any challenges throughout the data pipeline or modeling building? Yeah, I think uh, that that was one of our biggest hurdles. Um, we had a relatively large data set that we wanted to work with. Uh, and really getting the because brewing is a batch process and we just had a data a data table with time, essentially time series data in it it's hard to um not hard but it did take significant data wrangling so to geez. get that into batch context and just confirm that that was uh really the way it needed to be. And I think, uh, earlier I had mentioned, I had a conversation with a data scientist, uh, from shell and we were talking about, you know, the fine line between data wrangling and influencing your model. And that was one of the, another hurdle that we had because, you know, we all think we know how fermentations should go. So as you're going through the data set and you're looking for outliers, whatever, um, you know, you can potentially um, manipulate the data set in a way that's going to influence your model. And so we had to be really careful about how we did that. Um, The other thing that we, uh, the other hurdle that we had was we got it working and, you know, we thought it worked really well. 
And then when we presented it to other teams and say, hey, look at this really cool thing that we just did, they're like, how do we know it works? And we're like, oh, yeah, good point. (laughs) 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 And so so then from there, it was like, all right, well, let's take a step back and we needed to develop like a set of KPIs for the, like, what's the objective? How do we know that this is, you know, usable for other people? Um, and so we were able to do that, develop error analysis methods to, you know, basically confirm with, to show that, look, this is like, if we look at Black Butte Porter and diacetyl reduction history of the last hundred batches that we've generated a prediction on our standard deviation for the predicted time. And when we estimate it would have actually crossed from the measure, it is like three hours. So that level of confidence in being able to do that analysis um, and having that visible allowed people to gain confidence in the model. And then we also did a real time error analysis where um, as data points are added from those measurements, uh, uh, we run uh, a root mean squared error analysis that basically says, yeah, that point that just got added was off by this much. And if we compile that over the span of the fermentation, we can say, all right, so after three measurements, we're at like a 98% accuracy. That's pretty good. Um, anything less than 90 where, you know, we're going to hold off on or something's wrong and we need to go back and look at it. So those were the two things that, um, really kind of, kind of held up using it in operations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have the most technical question you'll hear all day. Okay. Uh, very hard. Um, what's the most popular beer that you guys are selling right now? Number one seller is fresh squeezed by far. Um, okay. That's, but we've got some new brands that are on the rise, like fresh haze. Um, you guys are probably aware of the, the haze craze that's gripped the craft beer community. Everybody is loving the, the hazy IPA with the yeah. less bitter, more citrus and fruity okay. aromas. It's not a sour beer. It's just more, fr- just fruity. Okay. Yep. The more approachable IPA, right? Yeah. Just mm-hmm. less bitter, more fruity and juicy. Jeez. We may have to do mm. some research on this later. <laughs> Tons of research. We'll have some here later. I heard, good. right? <laughs> and then, um, my other question, actually a serious question, is uh, obviously all this data that you're coming in, you're using it for fermentation. Could you package this in the future and maybe almost sell it as a service or sell this model to other breweries out there so that they can do it as well? Is there any thoughts on that or turning this into a product? Um, so that's really interesting because, uh, maybe I mentioned earlier that the, the community surrounding, you know, craft beer in general, um, it, we're all v- really supportive of one another. We all like to drink beer and we all like to talk about beer. And one of the things that, um, uh, we've realized is community at Deschutes is really important to us. And we've developed some of these technologies that I think, um, could be really beneficial to a smaller brewery. And so actually Jeremiah is the principal on a project that we, an open source data, uh, acquisition. I don't know. You want to describe it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you described exactly what it is. It's a, it's a free and open source, um, 
data collection platform that we is really our brewmaster kind of thought up the idea and kind of got it got it moving really um but it's intended just to you know for smaller breweries that wouldn't be able to afford a uh you know like an osi soft pie system like we have to collect all their data um it's you know can run it on a 60 dollars raspberry pi and it's manual data entry at the moment um but we have some experiments going with you know reading in instrument data through modbus yeah. um but it's really just a a way to get data collection in the hands of smaller breweries who wouldn't normally be able to afford it so they can start taking yeah. advantage of that and making decisions based on their data help mm-hmm. like we've done workforce better yeah. and yeah even down to home brewers right it could help them out. yep yeah absolutely it, really use it for anything it doesn't necessarily have to be brewing um that's incredible Keep track of how many beers you have in your fridge if you want to, you which we actually do. <laughs> Twenty-five. <Yeah. No> kidding. <laughs> that was a question. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that was that was kind of the idea, right? Is the fr- the first step to to bring this uh, these types of projects like to the industry um, is getting data. Mm-hmm. Like that's the foundation for all of it, and I think um, um, we were fortunate enough to, to that our I don't know. Um, our senior leaders saw that a long time ago. And so um, we started collecting really good fermentation data, you know, back in 2010, 2012, um, probably. And before that on in paper brew logs as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that most breweries write stuff down, but then you get it on the paper and nothing happens. So that was the theory that we kind of can't, we were talking about is, well, this is what, this is how we've gotten to where we are. Everyone else is, is pretty much doing this already. just not on a platform that is really user friendly to, um, visualize the data. So yeah. that's what we did. Well, it's really incredible what you guys did with Microsoft where you took a very, manual process that had been done you had the data there and you were able to get it into a platform that you were able to see insights out of that's that's great and then you're giving back to the community good on you guys that's awesome now looking forward though what do you what do you see for the future of data and ai in general or what do you see some of the bigger hurdles that we need to push through in order to to push this out to the masses and have more people adopt do you have an opinion there um a mild one. I don't know. I, I really think that, um, the possibilities are endless and I think it takes this really abstract, um, or seemingly abstract concept of like machine learning and AI. And I think the tools that are available now really like kind of lay it out. Mm -hmm. Right. The way, the way it's, uh, supposed to be done and um i really like using azure machine learning studio i think it's really a great tool um that combines a lot of powerful resources in one spot um and it really does allow the user to get familiar with how um all the steps in the process of creating a yeah. machine learning model. So it really brings the AI platforms to the users to mm-hmm. let them be able to do the really cool things yeah. like brew more beer. 
Yeah. And I think in the future, those tools are going to get um, even more user-friendly. Yeah. Um, that's just the progression of technology. So I'm really looking forward to see, you know, uh, what the next steps are, you know? Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us, Kyle and Jeremiah. We really appreciate you guys uh, letting us learn what Deschutes is doing around data with Microsoft and how they're bringing it back to the community as well. Uh, now, we do have a fun side of the podcast as well because this wasn't fun enough. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. But we're going to uh, enter a little area called Rapid Fire now. This episode's Rapid Fire is brought to you by DataWorks Summit. The next one's happening in Washington, D.C., May 20th through May 23rd. Make sure you check it out, and you can use promo code BDBeard19 for 15% off your conference pass. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. So what is your favorite type of beer? We had to do some type of beer-related rapid fire question. What's your favorite type? Kolsch. Kolsch, okay. like it. Favorite styles? Right now, it changes a lot. Right now is um, probably a real nice tart barrel-aged sour. Hmm, okay. Something really acidic and tart. Is that seasonal for you, or is that just a... Uh, Sometimes seasonal. Sometimes it ebbs and flows a little. Yeah. One of the the benefits of working at a brewery is you've got a wide variety to choose from. Get to sample them all. (laughs) Take advantage of it. That's awesome. (laughs) All right, so it's... We're at a conference and you're going on stage to speak. What's your music that you're going to walk on stage to? I mean, probably Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> that, that's a very popular one. That's yeah. actually the one that I use in my back pocket because I am afraid someone's going to come to me and say, well, you go first. What's your music? That's our that's our most challenging rapid fire question, I think. Nice. Uh, what about you? I would... Along the same line, pretty much go with anything off of the old Jock Jam CD. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Any one of those songs. <laughs> Early 90s rap. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing compares to Always it. Always. <clears throat> All right. What piece of technology is making your life worse? Ah, <laughs> uh, man. Red Cloak? <laughs> uh, antivirus software. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, same. We... we have a lot of interconnected systems and getting all that network traffic to go through unmolested is sometimes tricky. Be a yeah. pain. Yeah. All right. What's your biggest personal money pit right now? Um, whiskey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Uh, my, my beater ski boat. Oh, okay. It's a constant money pit. I'm sure. So tell us more. How long have you had it? Uh, it's a 2002, um, and I got it on a screaming deal because it had a cracked and repaired engine block. Okay. Mm. So it was uh, it was about all I could afford at the time, and I was just eager to get a boat, and now I'm I stuck with it. <laughs> was it the two best days of uh, buying a boat is, or owning a boat is the first day or the day you buy it, and, and the then the day you sell, sell it? it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if you couldn't drink beer anymore, I think I know your answer already, but- Adult beverage would you drink? Whiskey. Whiskey. <laughs> Scotch. Scotch. Scotch whiskey. All right. And then lastly, just where's the next interesting place that you're going? Uh, interesting place I'm going. Uh, I'm going to Santa Fe in May with my wife. That should be good. 
Awesome. Um, brewery touring around Seattle this afternoon and tomorrow. Sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, it's for pretty work it. research, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out. We've had hey, a thank blast. you. Thank you, Microsoft, for uh, letting us uh, hang out in your beautiful facilities. We've thoroughly enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. Thank mm-hmm. you.